Before we get into today's episode of One Shining Podcast, want to shout out the new show, Ringer Wise Guys. If you're getting prepared for Sunday and you're getting prepared for NFL football, you need to tune in to Ringer Wise Guys. Uh, you got Cousin Sal, you got Joe House, you got our guy Raheem, you got JJ Bombs, John Jastrzemski. So it's a great crew, a great quartet of guys giving you all the best bets and picks of the day. And they do this live on Sunday morning. So this is a real live show. It's not pre-taped. It's happening real in the moment. And uh, these guys are in four corners of the world. They got a lot of intel. They got a lot of insights. It's a great show. So go check it out. Ringer Wise Guys on Sundays. And then after that, you can watch me with Cousin Sal on Tuesdays on Through the Ringer. Go do it now. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On today's episode of One Shining Podcast, we are bringing back our college basketball correspondent, insider, whatever you want to call him, but he's our guy, Eamon Brennan. Not Eamon, Eamon. He's coming on the show and he's going to break down. Um, why is college basketball actually in a fantastic spot? I went and did some research. There have been 20 plus articles claiming the death of college basketball dating back to 2011, my first year of college. So, I don't know what's going on, but a lot of people want this sport to die, but it won't die on our time, on our watch. It will not. Um, and we're going to talk to Eamon about why it's in such a fantastic spot. And also we're going to talk about why, you know, some of these uh, big moves are happening in the sport. We'll talk about conference realignment. We'll talk about the bubble boys. A lot of big picture topics today with Eamon Brennan. Excited about that. Kyle, anything else before we get into today's episode? Well, I'm excited to finish uh, taking my time with this episode because I finally got my car at Sunrise Ford and they've been texting me to pick it up, but I'm going to let them sweat it out just a little bit longer. But first, Woody Durham. He takes the timeout. Technical foul. Technical foul. Technical foul. Welcome back to One Shining Podcast. I am your host, Tate Frazier. And today we have a correspondent, a friend of the program, and someone you've heard before. He is Eamon Brennan. Eamon, what's going on, man? Not much, man. How are you? I, uh, I'm doing all right. I'm excited to talk. Uh, we're inching closer. You know what I mean? I keep up with Rostin every day. I get on Twitter, a.k.a. X, and I see the number dwindling down 69 days to college basketball. I think we're at 47 days till college basketball right now. So it feels like it's right around the corner. There's a lot of preview pieces coming out right now. I wanted to start there for you. What is your go-to preview, you know, uh, you know, piece of literature? Is it Blue Ribbon right now? We got the Almanac. You know, you got a lot of people that put stuff out. Or do, do you just like to do the previewing yourself? Yeah. So traditionally, I would be doing a lot of previewing myself um, or with whatever publication is because I'm, I'm, right. I'm independent now. I've sort of made a conscious decision. Like, I, 
you know, a month or two ago, I was like, am I going to go through and like preview all the top 25 teams? And I'm not sure that that's necessarily what people want or need from me, um, considering the breadth of stuff that's already out there. Right. Um, so still kind of figuring that out. But but yeah, I mean, I've always purchased a copy of Blue Ribbon. I've always, you know, since, you know, two years now or whatever, um, read the Almanac. Both publications really helpful. I think for Blue Ribbon, particularly for me in a professional capacity, has always been a great place to like kind of comb through and see if you can spot stories, mm. you know, that might get kind of tossed away by a coach where they're kind of running through their roster with whoever's doing the Blue Ribbon story. And they mentioned, you know, like a guy from American, I, I wrote a story about like five, six years ago now, who had a misdiagnosed heart condition and mm. couldn't play for four years and then got eligible. And I was like, why is this guy on the roster now? He's like 24 or whatever. Stuff like that um, is good professionally. But it's also, yeah, I mean, getting a feel for kind of what the cons- what the consensus is. Um, and then I think typically once the season starts, the consensus kind of blends and gets mixed up and guys emerge and teams emerge and you look back, uh, and you know, some stuff you get right. Some stuff looks a little silly by the, you know, late November, but that's kind of the fun of it. Yeah. And everyone's trying to forecast and prognosticate and say, this is going to happen or this guy's going to take the next step. And we never really know. I always like the blue ribbon because it's kind of for teams that I don't really, you know, have my hand on the pulse. Like I was reading about Washington state, um, you know, the other night and just about like, I forgot Yesifu from Kansas transferred there. You know what I mean? And now he's going to be one of their primary guys. And then on the flip side, you know, all, you know, Muhammad gay leaves early for the NBA draft, TJ Bamba now at Villanova. Right. So it's, like, I don't know. I, I love Blue Ribbon. I think they do a great job. But it is preview season. There's a lot of time to preview, and a lot of people are getting excited about college basketball. But uh, as we know, Eamon, uh, if you've kept up with the headlines over the past decade, maybe a decade plus at this point, college basketball is dead, or it is dying. It is about to be irrelevant. That's what everyone wants to tell us. Um, but right now, college basketball is actually in a pretty good spot. In fact, I would say a really good spot. And you wrote a piece uh, for the buzzer for your site, um, and and you were saying that college basketball is, in fact, in a fantastic spot. So I want to start there, because we always hear about the bad and how it's going to end, and, and <laughs> when is it going to be over? But now I want to talk about the good, because we have the national, reigning National Player of the Year coming back. We saw the same thing last year with Oscar Shibway coming back. It is good news for college basketball. NIL has impacted things in a good way. Um, it has made things different, of course, we can talk about that a little bit later, but to, in in your opinion, why is college basketball right now in a fantastic spot? Yeah, there's there's a lot of reasons. I think it's really interesting. I feel like I make this argument a lot these days, and we have to. We're fighting for it, our lives out here. I know, but it's <laughs> it's funny too because for a long time, when the sport was in, I would say, much worse shape, I felt like I was one of the college basketball writers who didn't get super defensive about it and was much more willing to be like, hey, we need to fix some stuff here. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't, I love college basketball. I don't want to watch games that are 45 to 42. You know, like this isn't a great product for people and we need to, you know, and then you have freedom of movement and you have all these things that have changed. I think all the core problems that people complained about 10 years ago, um, 12, 15 years ago, have been sort of gradually solved for. Um, The biggest thing is, keeping good players on campus for longer than one year. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it was a huge problem early at the start of the millennium. All these guys were just skipping college altogether, right? All the best players were going straight to the the NBA. This was a huge problem for college basketball, allegedly. The NBA age limit rule comes in. Then it's a huge problem for college basketball that Kevin Durant is playing there for a year as opposed to going straight to the NBA um, because it's creating this mercenary culture. And all you have to do is get all the best freshmen to win a national title and 
yada, yada, yada. Um, now we've gotten to a point where the complaint about being able to keep the best players around doesn't really work anymore. This is the second straight season that you've had a national player of the year decide it's better for them to come back and play in college than to try and go get a two-way contract in the NBA or try and get on a roster or just start playing in Europe, which 10 years ago never would have happened, right? Like you never would have had Zach Eady come back no matter what his draft prospects looked like. Uh, 10 years ago, he would have just said, look, I'm the national player of the year. It's time I have to, start to making, go. Yeah, uh, it's time for me to start making money as a basketball player. And that's just what it is. And maybe I'll get on an NBA roster. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll make 300 grand a year playing in Spain. Whatever the case may be, it's time to start my pro career. Um, and you just don't have that anymore because of NIL and in some cases because of the transfer portal. And so that's the starting piece of starting point of that piece is like Matt Painter is still talking like two, three years later now about who, which other center he's going to try and squeeze in next to Zach Eady, which is a very funny concept. But to me, more important than that detail, which I don't really think is probably going to happen anyway, is that he's still talking about Zach Eady. That's a crazy thing that would have never happened, uh, you know, 10 years ago when I do think the sport had um, many more structural issues than it than it does right now. Yeah, I want to talk about Zach Eady because I think this is my big question, because uh you know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you got a seven foot five guy playing for Purdue. He's the reigning national player of the year. We would be talking about him like he's, you know, the eighth wonder of the world. Like we talked about Yao Ming or something, right? It, it, there would be some sort of fascination with him. And, you know, the fact that he started playing basketball and he was like 14, 15 years old, he's only getting better. He's only developing. So I can ask you this question, even do you think he's getting enough coverage? Because I, I thought during the World Cup, him being on the end of the bench for Canada, even though he didn't play as much, he played some garbage time minutes. But I thought that they would, you know, be talking about him a lot more. I thought going in the season, we'd, we'd be hearing a lot more hype. Uh, and my two kind of prong, uh, you know, inquiry about why it may not be the case is one, is it because he's Canadian? Um, and is two, is it because he lost to a 16 seed? Is it because we're trying to figure out how much we should cover him because we've been scorned before? I also think it's because of the way he plays. Um, yeah, true. I I think I think all those things are probably probably factor into it. I also think like, you know, I, I did a radio hit um, in Chicago last year, the year before during the tournament, and they were kind of asking me like, OK, you know, let's go through the big 10 teams, blah, 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 that you think can make some noise in the tournament. I was talking about Purdue and one of the hosts was just like, oh, Zach Eady, like I watched him play the other night. He's not good. <laughs> meanwhile, you know, <laughs> right. meanwhile, he's averaging like 23 and 12 or something. You right. know what I mean? Like he he's not seen as a skilled basketball player because we're in a state now with with hoops, particularly at the prof professional level, where if you're going to be that tall, you're you're Victor Wembanyama. Mm -hmm. You're not a guy who's catching at the mid post or the low post, turning around and hitting a nice little five foot hook shot um, to a ridiculously productive and efficient degree. That's not what the NBA sorts for anymore. And so it's why you have a guy like Zach Eady back in school. It's why you have, you know, Armando Baycott is still in school and, and Dickinson and, and all these guys, you know, over the past couple of years that are big guys that just aren't, you know, it's not enough to be big and a good rebounder and a, and a good interior finisher really in the NBA anymore. You have to have a degree of athleticism and flexibility and switchability that, um, frankly, Zach Eady right now doesn't have. I think he could be a useful pro, but it's not like, you know, NBA scouts will tell you what, you know, what your, what your value is most of the time. Um, and so I think that's part of it too, is that like, he's seen as this kind of like really tall, big guy who 
scores because he's big and tall and it's not necessarily he's like, oh my God, have you got, have you watched this guy play? You have to watch him play, um, which is not necessarily fair. He's an incredibly effective player, but I, I suppose I kind of get it a little bit. He's also plays, I mean, I find it fascinating because, you know, you got like Boban, right, who became kind of a caricature of himself. He's getting commercials <laughs> with State, State Farm. You know, you got Taco Fall, who has an amazing name, obviously, and then he goes to Boston and, you know, they go crazy for him. He becomes kind of a caricature, caricature too. I feel like Zach Eady hasn't had that embracing as a big man where, you know, everybody wants to, you know, hear his side of things or hear his story. It seems like because he is kind of reserved, we don't lean into the character side of Zach Eady. So I'll put it out there for Zach Eady. I think match the big with the big personality. Come this year, come with some, you know, some quips, come with some funny lines. Maybe someone behind the scenes gets him some funny little bits to do um, with the, you know, Purdue PR team. And then all of a sudden we fall in love uh, with Zach Eady. I want to ask about his head coach because everyone's trying to figure out every single year what coaches do, right? We want to figure out who's going to be the coach that finally gets over the hump like we saw with Scott Drew, like we saw with Tony Bennett, right? Um, one of the coaches that's been there for quite some time is obviously Mark Few, but probably the next name on that list is Matt Painter, is he the most due right now to win a national championship? And do you think that's going to happen, right? Because it does at some level feel inevitable, but for Purdue fans who've been waiting and waiting and waiting, they feel like it's maybe a, getting farther and farther out of reach. Yeah, I mean, it probably felt inevitable for Gene Cady at some point too, I think. True. Um, I do I do think that about Matt Painter. I, I wrote this a, a couple of weeks ago that like, um, you know, everybody can win in the tournament until they can't. Or, mm -hmm. or pardon me, Jay, right. everybody can't right. win in the tournament until they do. And then no one says that ever again. Mm -hmm. Right. Like the, the it was the thing about Tony Bennett. It was the thing about Jay Wright at Villanova when they were going out, you know, a couple weekends in a row. And, oh, my, you know, they shoot too many threes to win to win in the tournament. They lost to NC State in the second round. And right. They made, you know, shot three of 31 from three or whatever it was, um, you know, and and there are always I, I even think Mark Few like, look. He hasn't won a national title yet, but he's been in the final four a ton. He's been a couple buckets away against North Carolina, as, as you're all too aware. And he, you know, took a really, really good undefeated team to a national title game that just happened to get blitzed by a really, really good Baylor team. Um, under, uh, you know, and under they, weird circumstances, too, with that game, there's no crowd there, right? Like, I mean, that team is uh, could be talked about with the 76 Hoosiers team as the only undefeated in college basketball, right? I mean, yeah. Kentucky was there in 2015. So we talk about Mark Few and Gonzaga totally differently if they go and win the national championship. But, but because he lost to a Baylor team who had everything kind of in their favor there, they're the underdogs, even though they they were the better team. Um, it, that, that, to me, I feel like is not talked about enough when it comes to Mark Few. Everyone wants to dismiss him. He's never won. He's never done that. But like you said, he's been there twice. He's been the final four, what, four times, three times now. So, I mean, he's been there, right? So we, we understand. And, and the ball just didn't bounce his way. Right. It's not like he's been getting upset in the first and second round or, or even in Sweet yeah. 16. That that whole thing is gone now. And it's just a matter of like hitting a couple shots in a national title game. And that's mm -hmm. the last hurdle, right? Right. Um, Painter is different. Like they have had some disappointing tournament results. And I think the thing that's really interesting and refreshing about Painter and why he's fun to cover is because he's totally 100% honest about this stuff. About, um, you know, he, he isn't... He, I. I think there's a good excuse to be like, look, man, the tournament's crazy. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you lose. Sometimes you just the, these are young kids and they play terrible and they get scared and they start throwing up bad shots or they can't break down St. Peter's defense for whatever reason. Jade Nive, you can't get to the rim against St. Peter's and you 
kind of just set it aside, right? And I think, um, you know, you you try again next year. He isn't really doing that. He's he's kind of taking the like, look, I've had a bunch of teams now not play the way that we want to play in the tournament against teams that we probably should have beaten. And that's on me. I'm the common denominator was something he said recently. Um, and so he's self-reflective about it and honest about it. And I think that's probably a good sign as well of just like, keep doing what you do. That's, you know, kind of the Virginia model is very appropriate for them. Keep doing what you do, play your stuff, play great defense, um, stick to your principles overall, but also tweak some things that tactically give you a better chance to win in March. Like in, in Virginia's case, it was like switch the offense up, make it a little bit more free flowing. Also get Kihei Clark to put some pressure on the ball. So people aren't just hitting threes from, from 25 feet over the top of your head and you can do anything about it. Um, Purdue, I think has a chance to do that this year where, uh, different looks on the offensive end will help. Um, I think the the two guards, the freshman guards, being bigger and more athletic, more physically robust throughout the Big Ten season and into the tournament will really help them because I think they ran out of gas last year. Um, and I think they just need to make more shots. Like they shot 32% from three on the year last year. Uh, they really struggled down the stretch. And I think if if you come back and you get the same, Zach Eady doesn't even have to get better. If you get the same as what you got from Edie last year, a bit better perimeter shooting, a bit more options to switch sort of tactically within game in terms of personnel. Like Purdue should be a national title contender. And then you get into the tournament and you see how it goes. Yeah. And you got those two guards, I mean, Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. They were freshmen last year. That was the big knock going to the tournament. What would freshmen look like? They got, uh, you know, a little spooked in the moment, right? I mean, it's a big moment. You're freshmen. We understand that. So I think this year that backcourt will be more shored up in general. I also want to talk about the phenomenon. I, I saw Matt Painter talking about playing two bigs. And I felt like deja vu because, you know, two years ago, it was Travion Williams, Zach Eady. They're going to play together. They can play together. Then we get in the season and, you know, they're, they're, they're switching them out. Now they can't play together. Are we going to have a similar situation here where we're trying to make and fit in two bigs on the court? Or do you think Matt Painter's just trying to tinker and maybe throw people off the scent to start the season? Yeah, so I, I think he's, I think he is more than anything else talking about Trey Kaufman Wren in a way that he talked about Travion Williams more to keep Kaufman Wren involved and engaged than yes, he is Yes, to let him know he will him. play. Yeah, right. Just like, look, dude, I'm going to find you minutes. I'm working on figuring it out. You know, two years ago, he he told my, my colleague at The Athletic, Brendan Quinn, um, and repeated it a ton at, at Big Ten Media Day that year, uh, about how he was going to play Travion Williams and Zach Eady together. And Eady was sort of the, the guy coming off the bench. Williams was the starter. But both of these guys are centers. They're both pure centers. Travion Williams was not a guy who could stretch the floor at all. Um, and so it seemed like a weird idea. But it's like, hey, I don't know. Maybe this is like a new sort of strategic thing you do where you you put, you know, we don't see it in college basketball very much anymore, but he's going to zag where other people are zigging and and put two massive dudes on the floor together and see if you can just dominate and bully ball people. They ended up playing. They ended up playing four minutes together the entire season. Um, so I think it was more about keeping guys engaged, keeping guys understanding. Like, you know, there's going to be playing time for you. I think Trey Kaufman Wren is a bit more versatile than Travion Williams was. Williams was the better player at least at this stage of Kaufman Wren's career. But Kaufman Wren is is good enough to make it work with Edie in spurts. And they had you know I think 92 minutes last year, 93 minutes together. So there's possessions you can look at there. They played relatively well together, um, got big numbers on the offensive end, defensively struggled. So there's an option there. But I just think um, it's just the bigger part to me is just how funny it is that 
every seemingly every offseason with the possible exception of last year um painter is talking about how he can get two true centers on the floor together and then basically ends up never doing it yeah i think what travion and Edie played like four minutes together in total mm-hmm. that year you know so there were, it was a complete farce at some level so it is nice to know that they have some tape i mean you, you got 90 more minutes with those guys on the court together so maybe it's a little bit more familiar so that's fascinating um i think the purdue conversation will be interesting i hope for their sake it is more virginia like you said they have a little bit of a template where you do lose to a 16 but then you bounce back and you make things happen there's another team in the big 10 i want to talk about and first we'll talk about the fun part of it and then we'll talk about the business part of it uh the fun part hoosiers are going to have Gucci Mane, a.k.a. Guwap, coming uh, for Hoosier Hysteria. Your thoughts when you saw this, and and what is Mike Woodson up to? This feels very Bill Self to me. Yeah, it does. I think it's, you know, it's funny because Mike Woodson doesn't strike me as a Gucci Mane type of guy. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, Bill Self strikes me more as more of a Gucci Mane type of guy than than Mike Woodson does. But I just think Mike (laughs) Woodson um, has done a really good job of kind of in his way, which is sort of old school, um, blunt and straightforward and kind of just not really caring in a, in a good way, um, has sort of been able to relate to young guys, uh, the guys that are on his team with his sort of old school thing. So I can imagine him sort of standing there, you know, with his goatee and his cigar kind of being like, I don't know what this is all about. But hey, if the kids are, you know, if you show up to practice tomorrow and play hard, I'm good with it. Um, have fun and enjoy the enjoy the event. Like I think he he kind of has done a good job of bridging kind of that old school Indiana basketball ethos with uh, you know being able to relate to younger guys and and being able to keep them focused and kind of engaged on what's actually important while enjoying you know while enjoying being an Indiana basketball player. I think that's kind of one of the core things that he's done well in his tenure so far. Yeah, he's been able to bridge the gap. Obviously, he gets, you know, Bobby Knight to come back to Assembly Hall. They have, you know, that that war moment happened during the pandemic. So I think a lot of people forgot that that happened, that they kind of did have this. Um, we've all been waiting for like hell to freeze over for Bob Knight to go back and, and have that moment. Mike Woodson made that possible. So now you bring in that Bobby Knight Hoosier generation and also they obviously know Mike Woodson very well so they already appreciate him and then he's been able to spin it forward in a way that I think a lot of people maybe doubted when he got hired right there was a lot of people that said this wasn't the right move for Indiana this is moving backwards this is working backwards but instead I think he's done something where he's been able to sell the NBA dream with some of these recruits and then you get a guy McKenzie Mbako who was supposed to be Duke's poster boy this year Um, you know you got Filipowski comes back the minutes aren't there. He's at the Nike Hoop Summit. He plays incredibly. Everyone's trying to figure out where he's going to go. And then all of a sudden, Indiana swoops in. And I can't remember a time where, I mean, going into the season, McKenzie has said to everybody, he's one and done, right? He's only here for one year. And that's what the plan is. And he's basically coming in. And, you know, I'm, you read all the interviews with him and he's saying, why not us? Why why can't we make a run? Why can't I be like Carmelo Anthony? And it, it turns out Carmelo Anthony was really big in his recruitment because Anthony played for Mike Woodson and told him, like, you know, Mike Woodson's old school, but he's going to get you in positions to win. He's going to help you. He's going to love you. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. So Carmelo Anthony is, is a big factor in this kid going to play for Mike Woodson, uh, which is it, it's all very NBA, right? So, I, I mean, how much of that is was kind of overlooked when it comes to Mike Woodson and his trajectory? Because I think that he's able to recruit some kids that Indiana wasn't involved in. They were like a top 75 recruiting program. Now they're like top five, top 10. 
But yeah, that is one thing that that Woodson brings is he has a big NBA cosign. Like, I feel like there are a lot of NBA fans who sort of think of Mike Woodson as like the replacement level NBA coach. Yeah, right. Um, Because that's kind of what he was for a long time. Like, you know. Great number two. He could step in at number one, maybe get you to the playoffs. Right. Yeah. And and he coached some teams that are like pretty good. Yeah. You're you're in the playoffs as a six seed or whatever. But no, you're not a title contender. He never mm-hmm. had that that kind of like, oh, you know, Woodson's in charge of the Lakers this year, whatever. Um, and so I think him coming back to Indiana for a lot of people there, that that sort of impression kind of got you know, kind of carried with him of like, is this guy really that good of a coach? Is he going to be able to recruit? You know, there are a lot of NBA guys who have come back um, who haven't done that. But but I think Woodson is so entrenched in the NBA. You're right. Because he has a cosign of like guys like Carmelo Anthony, a lot of other guys he played with. He's beloved by his players and by NBA people like he's an NBA guy that everybody in the NBA seems to really like um, just personally and professionally that that stuff does matter also right uh, and and he can sell that to kids too it's not just oh i'll get i'll get you on the phone with carmelo anthony it's it's look i i know what it takes to have guys stick in the league like i've been working with guys on two-way contracts for a long time you want to get there and stay there like this is what it takes um that does sell to kids as well i also think it goes back to something we talked about at the beginning of the show like tactically he's pretty good and he's indicative of you know in Indiana playing in a conference like the Big Ten, where there's a lot of traditional stylistic similarity in the Big Ten, and him coming in being like, no, we're going to play differently. We're going to play with a lot of space. We're trying to try and get up and down the floor. We're going to play a ton of pick and roll ball screen stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of and we're, we're going to do standard, solid NBA style, spread the floor, pace and, pace and space stuff. And that's the kind of stuff that in college basketball 10 years ago, you didn't see much of. And then I think you see more and more of now of like, there's teams in the Big Ten that get up and down and run. And that wasn't, you know what I mean? That wasn't the Mm -hmm. case 10 years ago. And by bringing some of that stuff in, you can, A, appeal to recruits who don't want to play like Wisconsin or Virginia. And those guys are out there. There are plenty of guys who do want to play like that. Um, But you have a, a sort of diversity of tactics and strategy in college basketball now that you didn't have before because you have the influence of coaching from so many different areas. And I think we have a new rivalry that is brewing under the surface. And I think it's starting in recruiting, but it starts with two of the top teams for Adidas and it's Indiana and Kansas. And I do think that Bill Self and Mike Woodson, one, they need to be playing each other. And I think it'd be great for college basketball to have Indiana versus Kansas, the history. You know, you talk about, you know, James Naismith and and all the stuff with Kansas. I mean, they were the original fans. And then you got Indiana who thinks that they are basketball. They created basketball. They are the the uh, the, the barons of basketball in the world, uh, in the U.S., of course. So um, I just think that rivalry is brewing right now on the recruiting trail. And it all starts with Adidas and um, I don't know what happens, but I do think there's going to be some conversations about, you know, Indiana fans are already getting upset about Bill Self offering guys that Mike Woodson's offering. <laughs> um, and they're kind of going after the same pool of players. And I think that rivalry building up between them, um, Adidas needs to capitalize on that. I think it's going to be a, a great thing. And then one last thing on Indiana. Do you think it, it, it's insane or do you think it's plausible that they could win the Big Ten? I mean, obviously you got Michigan State. Some people think it's a top five team this year. Purdue is considered a top five team this year could they sneak in and maybe steal the big 10 that's hard for me to imagine only because i'm not sure about the backcourt the backcourt is a big question like you know xavier johnson and trey galloway i think is a really 
interesting, obviously super experienced backcourt. Like people keep making fun of Xavier Johnson for being old. Um, sixth year, he, right? He, he is. He's in his sixth year, but that's really valuable, particularly given how young they are up front now. Um, I think the front court looks great. Like Malik, Malik Renew is going to be really good. He's going to have um, a big year. Yeah, big I like year. Him a lot. I think, yeah, big year coming. Obviously, Mbako is going to be good, and and then I, Kalel Ware is like a five star recruit too. And mm-hmm. Woodson actually had a really interesting quote about him um, at Media Day, where basically like he told him when he was recruiting him off uh, out of the portal from Oregon, like, "Hey man, the word's out on you. Like everybody says you're lazy. So if you're going to come play for me, you're not going to be lazy." Um, we're going to work you hard and try and reach your potential. And this was something that apparently Kalelwar wanted to hear as opposed to, yeah, just come chill and enjoy the vibes. So that's promising for him as well, I think. I think the big question is just there's not a ton of depth in the backcourt. And, you know, Xavier Johnson missed a big chunk of last year with injury. Um, and Galloway played really well when he was out and I think is a potential, like, excellent, excellent college player. Um, coming off a sophomore season that, you know, he finally shot the ball pretty well in small spurts. Um, if Galloway is like a legit three-point shooter, in addition to sort of the playmaking stuff he does from the wing, then I think Indiana has a really good chance. But both him and, and Johnson have to stay healthy because I'm just not sure um, where they would go for for like high-level backcourt play. And when you're competing with with Michigan State's backcourt or, you know, what what we've just been talking about with Purdue, I think guys just have to stay healthy the whole year. If they win the if they win the injury lottery, Indiana has a chance to be right up at the top. But if not, then I don't know if they have the depth to to stay in. I can't think of the last time where Indiana had two legit five stars, like top ten players in their class. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, out there. I mean, I think Mbako is the the biggest recruit they've had since Troy Williams. Um, so just in general, I, I just think Indiana, um, especially going up against Purdue, I think that rivalry is only growing and and blossoming. And and obviously, Mike Woodson knew when he took the job, he needed to beat Purdue, and uh, he's been able to do that a couple times. So um, I just find you know that that Big Ten conversation between those two programs, I think, is uh, is a really big deal right that right now. I think it's a big part of what we're going to be talking about this season. So I love that. Love Mike Woodson making a splash. I'm happy for him. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I want to talk about a new headline or a new thing that's coming out. And uh, I love this headline from you. Why is the NCAA tournament now under threat? Fox Sports tournament, the first domino in this. Um, so Fox Sports says that they're going to try to compete uh, or uh, enact a new tournament to compete with the NCAA tournament for teams that don't make the tournament with the teams that they have rights of. Now they're talking about adding NIL incentives to get teams and players to play in this tournament. Why is this a threat to the NCAA tournament as we know it? Right. So. On its face, it's not. It's a threat to mm-hmm. the NIT, right? Yes, because course, it would require right. teams that otherwise would have gone to the NIT to sign up. But, um, you know, I think that that makes that gives this whole idea a lot of plausible deniability. I've had readers respond to me and say, well, no, not really. Come on. Like, they'll just they'll pull, pull some teams away from the NIT. But who really cares about the NIT anyway? Um but that's not what the actual concept is, right? So for the longest time, the biggest threat to the NCAA tournament in in theory is that power conferences and their television partners, which are not you know involved with the NCAA at all, right? 
would um, decide, you know what, we're going to take the top whatever teams in college basketball in the top four, you know, five power conferences, now four, basically, um, and just leave, go start their own thing and leave the NCAA tournament as essentially like a mid-major championship, right? At the mm-hmm. end of the season, that's that's always been the threat that people have kind of talked about, and it's not it's never been a particularly plausible one because the NCAA tournament is such a big deal for schools and conferences of all levels, right? It's a it's a massive it's as big of a deal for North Carolina as it is for Gonzaga, so you're not gonna you're not gonna leave people behind. Um, but now, because we have seen, I, I think this past summer has been the first time where you've seen TV partners and major conferences be totally willing to just torpedo a, a long-standing sort of entity within college sports and in, in this case the Pac-12 like within the couple months time the Pac-12 just got ripped to shreds and it doesn't you know it functionally doesn't exist anymore and so now you have Fox thinking about starting a tournament that the 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 way you get in is you have you have to be a Fox TV you know a conference with the Fox TV partnership so right. the Big East Big 12, there's one more. Um, they tried to invite the ACC and the SEC. Uh, oh, Big 10, obviously. Duh. Mm-hmm. Um, they tried to invite the ACC and the SEC. The NCAA president, Charlie Baker, stepped in and said, uh, please don't do that. So they didn't. <laughs> but this is not, this is like how this concept gets started. It's how the ball gets rolling of like, hey, we're Fox. Let's incentivize the teams that we're already contractually in partnership with to have a postseason tournament that's on our network, the selection of which is limited to the teams that we want to put in it from the conferences that we, you know, essentially not control, but are our partner to, quote unquote. Yeah. And we, you know, we get all the money from it and we distribute it to only the teams that we want to invite. And that's exactly what the model for totally screwing up the NCAA tournament long term would look like. Just because it's the NIT right now doesn't mean it's not a threat eventually to the thing that that holds all of college basketball together. And we've seen that, right? With all these, I mean, you know, you create live golf to compete with T- PGA, you know, tour events. And then all of a sudden you're trying to take that audience or split that audience or create a better product, but with the same clientele of teams or players or whatever it is. And then, like you said, they they effectu- effectively created something that could destroy the greatest thing that we know in the sport, um, which is leads me to my next question. You talked about the Pac-12, which is now the two-pack. Uh, which is how like old grandparents, when you talk about Tupac, that's what they call them. They like to call them Tupac. But I, <laughs> I like I like Tupac uh, with Washington State and Oregon State. But I wanted to ask you, like, what does it look like for the selection committee next season? Right. Because I think there's like a two year window where I guess Washington State and Oregon State could try to to get members into the revamped version of the Pac-2 and then turn it into the Pac-8 or Pac-10 or Pac-12 or whatever it may be. Um, but the selection committee in general, I mean, how will they address the, the, the fact that the, the Pac-12 does not exist anymore? And what would that look like next year when they make uh, you know selection for the tournament? Yeah, so I actually asked the NCA about this. Um, NCA, uh, I think he's vice president of communication. I can't, I can never remember his exact title. Strategic communication, something like that. <laughs> David Warlock, uh, very helpful. Yeah, very right. helpful guy. And he um, for Dave the newsletter follow on Twitter also. If you, yes, you want to keep is. up with what's he going on, sure. yeah. um, shout out Dave. He is. Uh, he responded for for the newsletter and said um, they don't have a policy. They haven't discussed it yet. But his guess would be that they would essentially just reduce the number of automatic spots available for the tournament from 32 to 31, right? Because there's 32 conferences. One of them vanished off the face of the earth, never to be seen again. And so there's 31 now. Um, 
But that also that that that's if the Pac-12 actually officially disintegrates, or if those two conferences become part of the Mountain West, or the rest of the Mountain West becomes the Pac-12. However, it works out. Um, if there's one fewer conference in the sport, they'll just do one fewer automatic bid. That means one more um, at-large bid, which is not, you know, it's a small thing on the margins for tournament selection. But when you're, you know, when you're doing bubble watch every year, like I do, and you're really in the nitty gritty of like, particularly those last couple weeks of of um, the regular season and, and conference tournaments where like the addition of an extra bid is a big deal for somebody. Um, it opens things up a little bit. I mean, when, when the tournament went from, went, went out to 68 teams, you feel those two extra teams that are getting in that, that weren't good enough previously. Like you can kind of, it, it's hard to spot, but it, like from a, from 30,000 feet, but once you're in the nitty gritty, you can kind of see like, oh yeah, th- this kind of team maybe you know, 15, uh, uh, you know, 17 and 15 Texas team with, with, you know, uh, an eight and 12 big 12 record maybe wouldn't have gotten in 10 years ago, but now they do that sort of thing. Um, so, you know, one extra at large spot is, is not a totally minor deal. It feels minor, but, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things it is, uh, but it, you know, it's some team getting in the tournament instead of the NIT that, that wouldn't have existed before if that's how things end up playing out. And there's always that one team that, you know, you can go back to like, you know, the, the mid aughts where, you know, Dickie V is like Virginia tech, how did they not get in? He's going crazy. <laughs> He's like on the verge of tears, you know, when they cut back to the studio. Um, there is always that one team every single year that you're just kind of like, uh, yeah, these guys got screwed, right? They, they should definitely have been in the tournament. So if you get one more at large, maybe that helps with that. But I'm sure the domino will just kick down one more and then we feel bad for insert team that didn't make it at that point. Um, you mentioned the bubble watch. I do think even this is probably my biggest war that I have going on right now because the quad gods, as I like to call them, um, and the net system in general, there is a lot of uh, moving of goalposts. Uh, you know, the the, the quad uh, record that you have changes and it fluctuates so much throughout the season, but it also dictates every uh, conversation about certain teams. Um, and it's also, you know, we talk about it like it's been set in stone, like Hammurabi wrote the code on, you know, how, how it's going to work with the quad system. But we are, you know, we are only basically, what, three or four years into it at this point. Um, how do we get better about talking about teams on the bubble? How do we not overreact to games in November, December and let them kind of dictate the way we talk about teams in February and March? And, and how does the system get better and evolve, in your opinion? Great, great question. So I have always been pretty defensive of the net, but that's because I did bubble watch back in the RPI days. Right. And and we've I, I don't always think people remember it very clearly or with a lot of clarity, <laughs> like how bad those numbers were and yeah, how the RPI was bad, right? I mean, it was so bad. We don't even remember, right? Like how right. it came to be. <laughs> and what's funny is that so warnolan.com is the, is the site I use for all of my um, bubble watch. They ha- he has like the nitty gritty sheets laid out the exact same way the NCAA uses them. They're just a little bit more right. readable. And he has some extra stuff in there. Um, like he has the legacy RPI on everybody's sheet. So you can look at it still to this day. Um, and the difference between it and the net and the difference between the RPI and reality in a lot of cases is really funny still. Um, so I've always been a, a little bit protective of that because when it came in, I was like, oh my God, it's like, it has a, you know, a, a, it looks much more similar to like the metrics everybody uses to actually evaluate teams like Ken Palm and, and all the mm-hmm. rest of it, right? And that was the point, right? When they brought it out, they were like, we're trying to basically 
you know, like Kirk Kirkland's signature of Kim Palm, right? Like it, yeah. <laughs> it looks similar. It feels similar. It's not quite the same, right? It was, it, it was, it's a version of Ken Palm and some other metrics that the, the metric side of it isn't super well known or explained. It's kind of a, you know, it's their secret, secret sauce or whatever, but that, you can that's the of, other part that drives me crazy. You know yeah. what I mean? It's not the Krabby Patty. Right. I, I'm not going <laughs> to steal it and go run away with it, but at least tell me where, where it's coming from. But yeah, please continue. Right. <laughs> right. So a few a few things. Yes, I agree with that for sure. It could be just open and mm-hmm. whatever. But it was a combination of those kind of metrics plus sort of, you know, results oriented, met, you know, predictive plus results. And so it I think it works pretty well for what the NCAA wants it to do. Like the net itself, I think, is fine. There are like big time stats heads who hate it and think, look, j- let's just t- take the you know, take take the training wheels off. Let's just go to a raw metric here. Like, well, what are we doing? Um, but I think for what the NCA designed it for, um, and relative to what existed previously for like 40 years, the RPI was around for forever. Um, it does a pretty good job. The quads thing I think is very fair. I think it's a nice idea organizationally, and it represented again an upgrade from what previously existed when it was like top 50 was just top 50 based on the RPI. And so you had all mm-hmm. of these same categories except being determined by this trash metric that no one really wanted to use anymore. Um, and that that also didn't, you know, the, the quads now incorporate home, away, neutral site. So it gives you a little bit better idea of like what a win is is worth and how hard it is to win on the road versus, you know, yada, yada, yada. But I think the quad thing does understandably frustrate people because you, you know, you start out in November and you beat Kentucky uh, at the Champions Classic, and then Kentucky goes on to be kind of mediocre, and all of a sudden you watch what what you thought was a marquee win kind of gradually become whatever. Or you beat Miami in January, and by February, all of a sudden that's a you know that's a quad one win because Miami has gone on a huge run; they've won ten or eleven games in a row. Um, so the fact that it changes on people, I think, I think trips them up a little bit. I think the quad stuff as as a as a bubble watcher and someone who spends a lot of time working with this stuff not just as a framework to to write about college teams but particularly in the nitty-gritty as we get down the stretch of the year um we probably have to do a better job of being like like just isolate the wins for themselves right isolate the mm-hmm. wins isolate the losses don't worry so much about like oh they're four and one against quad one it's a it's an easy shorthand but it probably makes more sense to be like they've beaten miami duke carolina and virginia they lost to yada 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 and and line up those resumes a bit more granularly because the net stuff I think um, is really overstated. Probably the NCA doesn't even use it as much as as we think they do, and it makes more sense to just like get into which teams you've beaten and which you haven't. Yeah, all I really care about with the conversations is that you're willing to admit there is some some gray area with the whole conversation, right? There is some room for you know when you beat Kentucky in the Champions Classic and they're the number one team in the country. Even if they do end up being mediocre and they're on the bubble or whatever, you still beat the number one team in the country in this environment at a neutral site. And uh, I don't know. It used to be like in your brain that would still hold some cachet. But like you said, we're we're getting into the weeds a little bit of trying to, um, you know, like go back and Captain Hindsight the situation where they actually suck when they beat them, even <laughs> though they were number one, you know. And uh, and and that is what is uh, you know been been something that is uh, I think confused fans maybe driven some other people up the wall with some of the conversations about it. And, you know, my big rule is uh, with all this stuff, as long as you're not a, I like to call know-it-alls Kias, as long as you're not a Kia, 
and you're not a know-it-all and you're like trying to act like everyone else is an idiot. I think there's always a room for conversation to be had and quality of wins and uh, when it did happen and, and, and the context, right? I mean, that's all we want. All we want is like the context to be um, in the equation. And then also there's people that get upset about the certain conferences that fare well with the net versus other conferences, right? Like, you know, I, I went to the ACC meeting, uh, you know, and and they were talking about all this sort of stuff about, you know, we got to schedule better for the net, right? Like it was this all powerful being um, that they have to impress, right? right. I mean, uh, it, it's just a, it's a, it's a strange conversation and, uh, and it's not really about basketball. It's about trying to manipulate numbers in your favor, which is, um, I guess kind of like college, right? You're trying to manipulate your grades in your favor, but I, yeah. I, uh, I, I have, um, been driven up a wall with some of the conversations. Cause I think there is a, there's a basketball part of it too. Like I, I laugh and I joke about the eye test, you know, it's not the E Y E test it's the, I say this test, you know what I mean? Right. Um, and I think everyone gets in these conversations where it's like, I think this, and this is that. And, and because I am in this position, this is what it is. So, um, you know, I'll leave yeah. it there. The The bubble talk always goes crazy. I think you're totally right. I think it is. It is a combination of art and science or it should. Yes. Be. You know right. what I mean? It's like you, you have to have these numbers because um, they do give you structure. They do give you a sense of of where teams sit relatively. I think they do typically tend to line up pretty well in a broad right. sense with with what we see. Right. Like Houston's number one. I think Houston's the best team in the country. Uh, give or take a Kansas or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you also have to approach. I, I do think there's a way some people do tend to approach this um, where it is just line up the numbers and and that's all that matters. And I think there is and there's a, confirmation bias in it, too, which yeah. is, you know, that's the other part that, you know, it's like, well, I already think this now my numbers are saying this. Yeah. Lock it in. Right. And you just you have to be able to allow yourself to, which is, again, not to like plug it or whatever, but I think Bubble Watch does a good job of this um, in in my iteration of it, because we spend most of the season just writing about the teams. We're not writing about quads. We're not writing about Mm -hmm. whatever. We're writing about the teams and how they're playing and what they're doing and what's funny about them or what's good about them. And so then by the time you get to the end of the season, then you start to compare the numbers a little bit more. But you've had, you know, six weeks of hopefully thoughtful discussion about what these things actually are and how they play and and what makes them interesting so um it is it should be as much art as science it's it's difficult for for those for for guys who just have to lay out a bracket and then try to defend it um because they are going through and putting numbers together they're doing it multiple times a week and and you got to kind of shortcut the process a little bit um but it it's it there's there's an art to it as well and and that's what makes basketball special is that it 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 evokes that feeling in people. It's not just a bunch of, for me, it's not baseball where baseball, I like baseball, but you can really reduce baseball down to the numbers at the end of the day. And basketball is not, not quite like that. Maybe that's why I'm getting defensive about it because I am, uh, you know, baseball was my first love and I've seen baseball been, uh, you know, it's been boiled down to the numbers. Shout out to Moneyball, But, um, yeah, maybe maybe I'm just worried. I'm having an existential crisis about it. Um, I don't I don't begrudge the bubble boys out there that are that are fighting the good fight. I just uh, sometimes I have to fight back, and uh, that's that's all I can do. What does um, this have uh, to do with North Carolina this past couple seasons? Well, it, it, it more it more had to do with like uh, the 2022 season, right? Where you right. know you, you got to hear about North Carolina's on the bubble. North Carolina's on, even when they beat Duke, right? When they beat Duke and Coach K's last game. You know, the the reaction after the fact was, you know, the bubble boys are like, I think that they're the last four in now. 
Um, even though they just beat the best team in the ACC on the road. Um, but you know, it, it happens. It's okay. I'll, I'll leave it. I'll leave it at that. I wanted to ask you about this. I saw this circulating, uh, yesterday and it was a lot of people giving their opinions on it. The 2024 recruiting class, um, right now has some, uh, you know, some new faces, right. And people, um, were starting to, you know, try to say this is a changing of the guard in college basketball. It might just be a sign that the transfer portal is more important than high school recruiting, but we can talk about that. But the 2024 class right now, number one, UNC. Number two, Rutgers, who could be number one if they get Dylan Harper, of course. Miami's number three, Laranega's top class ever, coming off a of Final Four. Georgetown with Ed Cooley. And then Missouri with Dennis Gates, obviously. And Dennis Gates has been involved with a lot of recruiting. When you see that top five, do you think, oh, man, uh, the traditional powers that be, they're, they're getting beat? Um, in the recruiting world right now, or are you saying, uh, you know, the transfer portal might be the primary way to get players now? I think it's a combination. I think um, it's one of the actually really great things about college basketball right now, which which brings us all the way back to to where we started. Right. Is there's talent everywhere in this sport now, and it's because of the transfer portal. It's because guys can find a place to play. You know, there was a time when. A guy like Dylan Harper probably would have what right now would be committed to Carolina or Kansas or whatever. And maybe he'd go there and play behind three All-Americans and he'd just wait <laughs> right. like Marvin Williams, you know, like um, and that isn't the case anymore. These guys can can spread themselves out. And this is pre-NIL, by the way, because you have like the, the entire SEC is a great example of like Alabama and Auburn, all these schools hiring good coaches and putting money into basketball in a way they didn't 20 years ago. Um, so I think. And the way, you know, like co- television money has done a lot of bad or questionable things to college sports, but it's also made a place like Rutgers able to put money into its basketball program, right? Like Rutgers lucked out by being in the Big Ten mm-hmm. and riding this wave of financial power. And now they have the resources in their basketball program to to try and go out and get a guy like Dylan Harper. Um, so it's it's a combination of, of all sorts of things. I think, you know, let's let's see where Cooper Flag ends up, right? Because that that'll be a big sort of swing for whatever team he ends up going to. Um, and if he ends up at Duke, which a lot of people think is, is possible to likely, then obviously that's a big get for, for the blue bloods and Carolina's recruiting really well in this class as well. But I think talent is spreading out a lot more um, than it used to, particularly the top, top 10 guys, you know, four of these guys probably aren't going to go to Kentucky out of this class. Um, although this year that's kind of, that's kind of the case. I mean, I just think there's a there's a lot of different places that these guys can go and it's more attractive for them in a variety of different places, not just because there's NIL opportunities, um, but because, you know, Kentucky might recruit a couple of guys from Davidson or whatever that are like three right. three year starters that are going to come in and play right away and you have to compete with them. It's just a different landscape now. Um, and I think it's it's made college basketball teams at the top end more experienced, tougher, better in a variety of ways and and more fun to watch. And more older, right? I mean, that, that's really what it comes down to. There's a yeah. lot of older teams. That's why Penny Penny Hardaway has completely pivoted the other way. We talked about that before. So it is fascinating. One last thing, even before I let you get out of here. Uh, every single year, it feels like after the tournament, right, there's one conference in college basketball that says we are the best. We hold the belt. We are the best, you know, basketball conference. ACC, Big Ten, Big East, Big 12, right? I mean, after I remember Baylor, when they beat Gonzaga, it was the Big 12 was pumping their chest out. If you had to say right now who kind of holds the belt in college basketball, which conference, uh, which conference would you say? I would say it's the Big 12. Um, obviously, that that's going to look a little different, but the addition of Houston won't hurt them in any way. Mm-hmm. I just think the Big 12 
you look back over the last like 10 years in terms of just pound for pound strength, the worst team in the Big 12 is rarely worse than like the 60th or 70th worst team. You know what I mean? They, they're yeah, it's just a bloodbath basically every night. They typically send a larger percentage of their league to the tournament than than any other. You know, they'll get six or seven teams out of the tournament out of 10 to the tournament every year. Um and which makes it all the more incredible what Bill Self has done at Kansas, sort of winning that that conference on such a an annual basis. But um, you know, I I, I think the Big 12 is great. I think, you know, I'm continually an enjoyer of the Big East for whatever reason, just right. cult- culturally, I think the league is is so dialed into like what it is now that makes it a really fun thing to watch on a, on a regular basis. I'm excited to throw on the the random 6 p.m. Seton Hall Providence Big East game before whatever mm-hmm. you know Marquette Villanova later. Like those are just fun games, and um, I think the Fox production has been great for those. So those have been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, those are probably my. T- I would I would say I would answer it in two different ways. I think Big Twelve has been the best. And probably has the belt for for now. Anyway, we'll see how realignment changes things. Um, and the Big East has probably been the most fun of late. Yeah, I think the Big East is trying to stick their neck out and say we are the best of the best now. And um, I mean, when I look ahead to this season, I think the Ed Cooley game going back to Providence is going to be epic, right? So I mean, oh, yeah. they not only have the basketball part of it settled by having the national champions, by having a team like Marquette with Shaka Smart, that's a fun up and down team, right, with a lot of talent. They also have the drama, right? You have Cooley leaving, going to Georgetown in conference and recruiting. Like I said, he's got a top five recruiting class already in 2024. Uh, but I think Providence is going to be really good this year. So I, I, I think the Big East has some great storylines. They might not have the belt, but they do have a lot of stuff you know, working in their favor. So they're going to be fun to watch. SEC's got a lot of talent, right? I mean, we know that. So it's going to be fun to watch them. And then the Pac-12 this year is going to have the drama, too. It's going to have the eyeballs. You got Bronny James. Um, you know, you got UCLA, kind of a rebuild, but also they kind of retooled and have a lot of talent. Arizona has a lot, a lot of talent. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of good conferences out there. A lot of people trying to vie for the belt. So I can't wait for the season. Eamon, thanks so much for coming on One Shining Podcast. We'll have you back, man. Where can we find all your amazing work? Yeah, uh, check out the Substack. It's Buzzer by Eamon Brennan. It's at eamonbrennan.com. Um, you can look for it there. I post links on Twitter, but you know, I don't know if anybody sees them anymore. So just go straight to the website, please. <laughs> <laughs> go straight to the website. That's the yeah. easiest way to do it. Cut out the middleman, as exactly. Frank Lucas said. Get one, it in, your, get it in, in your email, and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, Eamon, thanks so much for coming on the show, man, and we'll have you back soon. All right. Thanks, man. There you have it, Eamon Brennan. Love having him on the show. He he comes on. He's got the goods. I can uh, I can throw out the uh, the college basketball uh, one. I can throw out how much I hate the bubble um, and the bubble boys, and he can be rational about it. You know what I mean? Which I need that sometimes. <laughs> yes. I need I need I need to get some uh, some rational pushback. So I appreciate that from Eamon Brennan. But also we can just talk college basketball, and uh, he's going to be great. Um, if you're just tuning in and getting prepared for the season again, he does great work. Uh, it is buzzer. He just said that, just plugged it at the end, but go check it out. And also, um, college basketball is close, Kyle. It is really close. And uh, I can feel it. The wheels are starting to churn. People are asking, when are we going to put out the OSP Top 25? I'm cooking up a list. I'm putting it together. Um, spoiler alert, Duke might be number one. I'm not sure, but can they handle the pressure? Let's find out. Let's put it on them and see what happens. I don't know. We'll talk about that later. Uh, let's do some shout outs because I got a good one uh, to start here. Shout out ChatGPT, uh, which is an AI server. They put out the top 10 college basketball teams since 2000. This is according to ChatGPT. Chat uh, number one, Louisville, the Cardinals. 
number two, Kentucky. Number three, North Carolina. Number four, Florida. Number five, Illinois. Um, I do not know how Rick Pitino did it, but Rick Pitino is down with the AI. They love Rick Pitino. They respect the art. They respect the craft. And uh, they're making it happen. So shout out to AI. Also shout out to Mike Rutherford. Uh, he was very excited about this. He said that, you know, a lot of strides are being made in the world of AI. So I love that. Love to see that moment. And also love to see Rick Pitino. If he's not going to be loved by the humans, at least let the AI love him, right? Someone needs to love Rick Pitino. Um, love conquers all. Love, love, you know, transcends. That's what Interstellar taught us. And Rick Pitino, you did it again. Um, Love to see it. Also, shout did out to see, all the yeah. Did, please did go. you see that people are messing with the chat GPD uh, for other stuff? Like, I <laughs> why found is one it so hard to say it? Why is it why, GPT? Why? <laughs> I I don't get it. Like the I, the one that I was gonna add, but I thought it was just like that's oh, stupid. Who cares? But it's like the like best ten Kentucky centers or something, and it's like you mm. know nine guys from the fifties. <laughs> like Anthony Davis is like ninth on the list or something. I it's love like, it. Yeah. It's a it's an unbiased list, and also it feels like they must love Mad Dog. Uh, they must love Mike the Mad Dog, and, and not Mike the Mad Dog, but the Mad Dog himself. I'll shout out to Mike Francesa, but uh, yeah, I uh, I love Chad GBT. Yeah, that's how you yep. say it, and uh, <laughs> and I like that they're putting out lists. We love to see it because there's nobody like oh my god, I'm gonna be roasted in the comments when I put you know this the sixth right. 1950s uh, Kentucky Center. They're just like hey, this is what it is. So I think humans should stop making lists and stop ranking, and it should only be AI because then we all can come together as humans against these lists. You know what I mean? Yeah. We t- like we all hate lists anyway, so why not turn on the AI that made them? That's where I stand on it. All right, let's keep it rolling. Shout out to Damon Stoudemire, who's the head coach of Georgia Tech. Again, on our last show, we did who's going to be the coach prime of college basketball. I had some Georgia Tech people reach out to me, and they said, he's right in front of your face, and he's in Atlanta. His name's Damon Stoudemire, and it's happening. So uh, just wanted to give him a shout out, because I do like the people that were reaching out and giving some of the names that they thought would be the right names. But I also like... These Georgia Tech guys, they came with some facts. They're like, this is this, this is that. I don't even remember all the numbers. but And I don't even know if the numbers matter. But when you smack me around with a bunch of stats and numbers, I'm saying, that's prime time. I like what I'm seeing. And I like Damon Sotomayor, the way he carries himself. Loved him as a player. Think Georgia Tech has a lot of potential. And in case you missed it, they are three stripes. They are not Russell Athletic anymore. They are Adidas. So they will be in the bag game, as we know, with Adidas. So Damon Sotomayor, that is a name to watch out for. Shout out to everybody who was, uh, dude, you know, it's sort of like when you get a car and you start to see that car everywhere. I don't know if this was because we did that segment and put it out on the, on the, like, who's the coach prior of college basketball. But I don't know, in the next like eight hours and, and days following that pod, I just been seeing it. Who's the coach prime of the NFL? Who's the coach prime of the NBA? Like sound off in the comments. So I don't know. <laughs> I'm not trying to do an all fantasy everything here. Like we're the only right. one who could say this, but I just shout out to <laughs> seeing it everywhere after, after we did that show. I don't know who's listening, but somebody's listening and it might be the aggregators because like you said, I get on Twitter and uh, it's the coach, prime. even Kevin Clark, a uh, friend of the program, our Miami guy, he, he's putting out who's the coach prime of the NFL. And I would, I, my reaction would be, Coach Prime, probably, right? <laughs> I mean, but I don't know. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot of lot of Coach Prime conversation. I thought Michael Che of SNL had a great point. He just said, and he put on his, his stories on Instagram are always hilarious, but he just put on his story, please stop talking about Coach Prime. I don't want to hate Coach Prime. And I think <laughs> that is a... That is something that we should all uh, kind of lean into because I think the more that we, uh, you know, kind of obsess over this and talk about it ad nauseum, it's going to turn off Coach Prime. So let's let's give that a breather. 
like you said, Kyle, the aggregators are already on it, so we'll give it a break. Um, but it is funny. Um, another shout out, shout out to Trenton Flowers. This is the Louisville uh, commit five star that came on campus. He had this video where he acted like he was going to dunk from the free throw line, but he pulled up and then he ended up hitting the wall. It was like a viral video moment. Two days later, he says he's leaving the Louisville program, um, you know, to go play professional basketball for the Adelaide 36ers. In case you forgot, the Adelaide 36ers beat the Phoenix Suns um, in the fall of last year. A lot of people forget this. So they, they're a legit team. Tritton Flowers left Louisville to go play for them. Um, he was given the keys to the team. He was going to be um, the point guard of this team. That's what he was promised. And yesterday they announced after a couple of weeks, he has been moved to wing. So he is no longer the point guard. Um, he left Louisville to go try to do this. So um, in the headline of this is failed experiment, colon, Adelaide 36ers shift team point guard. Um, now he's playing on the wing. Trenton Flowers, um, life comes at you fast. I hope he figures it out. Hopefully he gets to the league. Uh, but it's always tough when things like that happen. We talked about Gucci Mane. So shout out to Gucci Mane. Um, he's going to be in Bloomington for Hoosier Hysteria. Kyle, if you had to have one rapper come to your alma mater, come to Potsdam to do like the basketball team, little hype up ceremony right now, who would it be? And you can't say 50 cent, 50 cents no, off the board. I know that would be the I don't think we have yeah, insurance yeah. for 50. At, uh, <laughs> he might Potsdam. throw a mic. Who knows? <laughs> I will say we had a, uh, we had Joe Budden, which was just terrible. Mm. He came out in sweatpants. He was 45 oh minutes my late. God. He did like Pump It Up, another song that we've heard. Pump, pump It Up. <laughs> and then bounced. It was like, God damn it, Joe. What about SUNY money getting the Joe Buttons? But uh, I don't know. Maybe probably Lil Wayne. Everybody knows those songs. He just did yeah. two things off of No Ceilings. I think that'd be great. Yeah, Lil Wayne would be great. He obviously went to Colorado, too. So he just started. He's already doing the college run, um, which is always fun. We had Fabulous when I was in college, and we had J. Cole. Fabulous was incredible because That's, he ref- was his height. You know, that, it was great. Yeah, right. I mean, Fabulous also has got some of the best punchlines you've ever heard. If you don't listen to Fabulous, go check it out. But he wouldn't come unless there was a black leather couch. And I just remember, like, one of our friends was helping set it all up, and they had to go drive and get a black leather couch and bring it on for him. And that was, like, one of his, you know, you know, the, you get a list of, like, everything he needs. He needs, like, 14 Pellegrinos. He needs, like, three Snickers bars. But he specifically needed a black leather couch, and they had a black cloth couch. So no, they had to go get a... Either, right? Yeah, he's like, he's like, I don't want a cloth. He's like, I can't perform if I have a cloth couch. <laughs> it was very P. Diddy. And um, speaking of Diddy, he just dropped an album, Kyle. And if you haven't listened to it, you should go check it out. Um, I don't know how Diddy gets away with this. Diddy, every like five to ten years, will just drop an album out of nowhere. Are you and talking about love? I'm t- well, he it's back to Diddy. I mean, it's listed okay, as Diddy. Here, really? Yeah, 100 percent It's listed as Diddy. That's what I'm saying. Diddy comes out of nowhere. Puff Daddy, uh, P. Diddy, whatever you want to call him. But Diddy comes out of nowhere, drops this album on my face, and it's got bangers on it. And honestly, the best songs are without Diddy. Like there's a song with Jeremiah. No Diddy to be found, just fire song. You know what I mean? Uh, but if you haven't listened to the album, go check it out. I, I am not working for Bad Boy. I always liked Bad Boy. Mace was my favorite rapper growing up. Um, so I, I'm team Bad Boy. But Diddy did it again. And I, I don't know how he keeps getting away with it. I don't know if he stole all these beats. But he also, the entire album, he says off the grid. And I just know it's a subtle, you know, shade to Kanye. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, I'm actually off the grid. You're fake <laughs> off the grid. You know what I mean? So... Go check out that album. It's a good one. Diddy's dropping some bangers. Um, and sad news. This is a sad shout out. But also, we got to shout out Rutgers Royalty. RIP Phil Sellers. Um, one, of the, one of the three jerseys that hang up in the rafters at Jersey Mike's Arena. 
one of the iconic guys who played for Rutgers back in the day and, uh, you know, nicknamed the thrill. So he passed away. Um, thoughts and prayers to all the Rutgers fans out there. And uh, he's a legend. A lot of times these college basketball legends, as time wanes on, we're like 50 years from when he played. We don't talk about some of these legends enough, especially when they pass away. So wanted to give a moment for Phil Sellers. He's a legend. And, uh, you know, again, it's, uh, you know, it's hard out here when you lose legends, but also it's nice to give them their due. And uh, we hope that he gets that today from One Shining Podcast. Kyle, I know you got some headlines. This is my favorite segment that is developing on the show. Kyle goes and finds, uh, you know, the headlines that are happening in the world of college basketball. Can you hit me with some headlines? Okay, here's a great one. Here's this is this is showing you that college basketball around the world is in a good place. Taiwan right. college basketball champions trounce the pro club Taipei Mars. They, uh, I guess, had won the college basketball tournament last year in Taiwan and they won by like 15 points against a pro club. So we always wondered like, you know, with um I probably more an NFL than with the NBA, but like, you know, what could this Alabama yeah. team like just right. take take Can on Alabama the... beat the Browns, right? That yes. was like 2015's biggest <laughs> yeah. question, right? Yeah. So uh I think that's good that's good stuff for college basketball. They won uh what's the score here? Um I can't find it. Oh, 98 to 70. It was like a pretty convincing win. So sorry for Taipei Mars, because that's a tough look <laughs> for professionals. But that's well, great for college basketball. We saw Kansas beat the Bohemian national team, um, which was pretty impressive. DeAndre Ayton was not playing, but it still counts. So college basketball winning the offseason, right? And also, when you look at the FIBA basketball, you're saying to yourself, we need some college coaches involved with these players. You know what I mean? We need to teach some fundamentals with these guys. So, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, here's another one. You sent me a list, which I love to see. Did I shout out Rick Barnes yet? Because Rick no. Barnes, uh, he needs to get shouted out. He got extended through 27, 28 season. Uh, so they basically added a year on. Um, so he's going to get, you know, even more millions from Tennessee, but it also shows that when you beat Duke in the NCAA tournament, you get paid <laughs> and, uh, Rick Barnes, he deserves it. I think he's done a great job. A lot of guys in his guard, right? They're, they're trying to get out of the game. Rick Barnes, Jim Laranega. They say nay. They say let's run it up. I think, right? They're like, yeah, yeah let's more. keep it going. Right. Let's keep it going. So uh, Rick Barnes, race to 69, get paid. Um, shout out to Tennessee. I think they're going to be really good this year. They're my pick to win the SEC. Spoiler alert. So there you go. I'm locked in there. Um, I got a, uh, you got the Candy Coaches series. This was about NIL. So this is what NIL price is projected uh, of a high major starter in the transfer portal. So what are they looking for when they get out there? Um, 40% of coaches said um, between $200,000 and $300,000 in the transfer portal. And you know what? Um, time wanes on, but the price remains, remains the same, Kyle, <laughs> because this has always been kind of the price range. Whenever you heard a story about hey, Josh Smith was getting recruited to go to Duke and they gave him $250,000. Or, you know, hey, Todd Gurley's about to go play football at Georgia. What was, what was the cost? What was the price? Oh, yeah, $250,000. All the rumor mill that would come out, it would always be $250,000. How much did Cam Newton get paid to go to Auburn from Blinn College? Oh, yeah, $250,000. I don't know how it works. I don't know how this is the number, but a quarter of a million dollars is the number to get a player to go to your school. Um, unless you're Miami and you might pay someone like Nigel Pack $800,000. Sometimes you got to go out there and throw some wild numbers. But generally speaking, 40% say that is the number. Um, it should be public record. It should be forward-facing. It never will be because this is the bad game. But the fact that it is around the same number that we would suspect things to be back in the day 
kind of makes me feel good, Kyle. It makes me see, makes me say that the game and see that the game is the same. It's just different. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a little bit more in your face. It's a little bit more out there, but wink, wink, you know what it is. You know what it is. It's It's the bad game. It's nice from those, you know, 2018, 2019 pods. You guys, you know, you guys were spot on when you were talking the numbers here. So it wasn't like, you know, Oh, everybody was so wrong about that back then, which is cool. My favorite part of the candid coaches, this one in particular, is some of the like salty coaches that are anonymously mm. quoted. Like, I, I lost an okay p- player to a co- power conference school for two hundred thousand uh, dollars. So, anyway, that's cool. Uh, how, a couple- how much do we think that is a real quote, though? I mean, I, that that's the thing with this this anonymity, right? I mean, when when it's anonymous. I'm going to be honest. If I'm writing an anonymous column about anonymous coaches that I'm anonymously talking to, I might add in some anonymous quotes myself. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Think? That might have been one of them. Yeah. Well, I guess when that I don't want to Stephen like, Glass these guys, but I, I'm just saying, you know, that that quote seemed like a writer wrote it. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, but don't you think like as a as a especially with you know how the transfer portal thing has changed and how upset some of these guys are if it is True. or maybe not upset but like frustrated with the new reality of yeah, like they're God, big I have mad. to do this all the time now right like yeah if you're like all right this is definitely anonymous like maybe yeah maybe I will shit on that kid like a little bit because nobody's gonna know who it is and nobody knows who I am so I don't know that just seemed like real frustration of a guy who's like two three years into this new thing like what the fuck. <laughs> I like, like I'm it. losing shitty guys for two hundred thousand dollars, <laughs> and people are big mad, and you got to respect it. Um, and that's the world we live in, in the transfer portal, and it never ends. That's the other part. I mean, all these coaches, the transfer portal, the dead period, all this sort of like terminology that we've created to say like it turns off, it never does. Tampering is at an all time high. As I said, that's the number one storyline in all of college basketball. You may have a great team, but somebody's tampering. You know what I mean? You you may. <laughs> You may think it's all hunky-dory. We just went on a whitewater rafting trip. I just got along with the 12th man as much as I got along with my starters. And they're getting tampered. And someone's calling them. And uh, their dad is calling them and saying, man, I think I think you'd be great at Tennessee. I just want to float that to you. I just think you'd be great <laughs> at Tennessee. Coach Barnes said he'd play 15 minutes at least. Still happening, still tampering. But shout out to all the people out there tampering. Don't do it too much. One last thing I want to shout out, Kyle, because... This is just like a funny phenomenon. There's a lot of funny phenomenons going on in general. Uh, obviously, the Rome thing is a big thing that's happening right now. We, we don't have to get into that. I saw Rosillo was upset about this, by the way. <laughs> He's like, Wh- which period are we talking about? Are we talking about the Imperial Rome? Or are we talking about the Republic of Rome? And I'm like, this is <laughs> this is the right guy to ask. You know what I mean? If there's ever been the right guy to ask. The Brian exception Rosillo to the rule was, right there. Yeah, Yeah, right. He's fired up. He's like, what about when they had seven kings to start? They had an oligarchy. You know, you're like, oh, man, this guy's right, awesome. Dude. This guy's awesome. Yeah. And look, can we blame someone for the fall of Rome? Yes, it's Constantine. There's one man. We blame him. But we'll leave it at that. The other thing that's fascinating, you you know Mia Khalifa, right? This, this yes. is like, a, yeah, right. So uh, I'm fascinated by Twitter comments and Twitter replies. And I think if I had a segment on a, on a show of my own, it would be top comment. And I would just show you a thing. And then I'd show you the top comment. And then I would let that person come on and, and get the glory for what a great comment. But Mia Khalifa um, put out a video um, on Twitter and she's like pulling like a zipper down of her dress. You know what I mean? It's like a tease video. This is what happens on all these sites. But that doesn't matter. The comments are incredible because the comments are just pictures of washed up athletes. <laughs> like, I mean, every like Celtic it's Chris, Shack. <laughs> yeah, Celtic Shack, Chris Paul holding a Warriors jersey, Kevin Garnett on the Nets. 
Um, I mean, it, and it goes on and on and on. And, uh, you know, I'm sure Mia Khalifa is a nice person that, you know, people can be mean on the internet. I feel like this is the the best version of quote unquote being mean because you're being funny, right? It That's bridge the, the gap between mean and funny. And there's exactly. enough people that like, cause Twitter, everyone could be on Twitter and it's not like, uh, it wasn't like a sports section, you know what right. I mean? So people, there could be a lot of people like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> All I know is that I have never like randomly on my timeline. I just see like a picture of Pau Gasol in a Blazers jersey. And I'm like, this is incredible. Like it won't end. Like it just yes. you keep finding more people uh, like, you know, it's not just athletes. Right. I mean, someone put the chance, the rapper album, you know, the the terrible one, you know, what I mean? like everyone's everyone's got like a cultural moment that they're responding with. Uh, and, you know, the thesis being you're washed. Um, but at the same time, it, it made me laugh. And and I. There are things that happen on the internet. I'm 30 years old. I, I feel like I'm fading into, uh, you know, whatever adulthood is. Uh, but sometimes on the internet, you get caught with these things. And I'm like, this is incredible. I'm looking up Dominique Wilkins pictures with the magic. I'm like, is, is it worth it? This is a good one. <laughs> but what a moment. Um, so that's uh, that's my final. Don't let me catch out. you Shout in those to... comments, Tate. Don't oh, I'm never in, in the com- <laughs> I'm never in the comments. I'm not. I'm 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 out of the. I'm I'm out. Let's I'm, be an I'm observer. Just, I'm an, I'm a great observer. KOC's in the comments. Kevin O'Commoner, he's in there. And I think we got to give him some uh, we got to give him some some stuff to throw out there uh for the engagement. I don't want engagement. Um in fact, I'll let these people steal my coach prime thesis, you know what I mean? And like take it out and then I'll say this is great. This is good stuff. This is what we love to see. Great job um, everyone. <laughs> yeah, great job everybody. You did, you did it again. Good job by you. Uh Kyle, anything else before we get out of here? That's all I got. That's all you got. I love that. Um, this is One Shining Podcast. Again, thank you to Eamon Brennan for coming on the show. Really appreciate him. We have Manic Mondays coming back with Kyle Mann. Uh, we are, we are you know, on the side plotting some preview stuff right now. So we're, we're texting back and forth and figuring it out. But uh, Monday, I will be in Seattle. I am going to Seattle with my girlfriend. First time to Seattle. Going to a Seahawks-Panthers game on Sunday, Kyle. Going to a Manners game. Um, so I'll be doing the show Manic Mondays from Seattle. So I can't wait. Um, I'm excited for that. We'll see you on Monday. Thanks for listening. And again, appreciate everyone tuning in. We'll see you then. <laughs>